0: Amen. Thanks, Will. The guys' night is going to be awesome. There's a ladies' night coming. You'll hear more about that at the end. Girls, you're going to do probably a lot more things than we're going to do, but we're going to have more fun, all right? We're going to be uncomplicated, guys. We're going to eat some barbecue. We're going to get to know each other. Francis is going to give us an inspiring word, and we're going to go to the house, all right? We'll talk about football. No, we'll we'll talk about serious stuff than that. uh, We're going to get into it. So many things going on here. As we continue this starting point series, here's my leading question for today. When you use the word home in conversations, whomever you might be speaking to, where are you referring to? Do you refer to San Francisco, if this is your home, or the Bay Area? Do you refer to the place that you came most recently because you haven't been here long enough for this place to become home? Maybe you refer to the place that you've spent the majority of your life. When you use the word home, where are you referring to? Now, some of you, you might refer to a different place depending on who you're talking to. You know, if your parents ask you, when, you're, when are you coming home, you know exactly what they mean, don't you? And your answer is like, not as soon as you wish I was, but I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there eventually. What I want to do is talk about what is our starting point when it comes to how we think about our ultimate home? Where are we from? Where do we ultimately belong to? What do we consider to be our home? This isn't our main text, but I want to give you something just to start the conversation from Paul. Paul, if you know his story at all in the New Testament, when we meet Paul, his name is Saul. And he shows up in the book of Acts. And Saul, at the time, he's very religious, but he's very anti-Jesus. And for those of you that didn't know, those weren't the same thing, being pro-Jesus and pro-religion. They're very, very different. In fact, we say around here, we are not big fans of religion. We're big fans of Jesus. But Paul was very religious, but he couldn't stand Christians. In fact, he would applaud when they were dragged off to jail, or even when they were murdered, Paul would consent. He would be like, that's awesome. We've got to get rid of people who are following this new way, following this new Messiah, Jesus. And On the road to Damascus, you may know Paul's story. He meets Jesus, and not only does Jesus transform his life, Jesus gives Paul this amazing calling to go and be a light for the gospel to the Gentiles. And how Paul interprets this is he is to go and start churches, lots of different churches, all throughout modern-day Asia and Europe. And he would start churches in a variety of cities, and then he would eventually be thinking about them or hear a report about those churches. And he would write back to the church and say, hey, I want to address this matter. I want you to know I'm thinking about you. Here's greetings. Sometimes he could go back and visit, but oftentimes he never made it back to visit those places. But in the 60s, not the 1960s, AD 60s, um, Paul wrote back to one of the churches he helped start in a city called Philippi. It's what we know in our Bibles as the book of Philippians. And it's an amazing story about Paul writing from prison, but he's writing about joy. But he says something about this idea of home that I want to just launch our conversation with this morning. Paul knows he's writing to people who mostly grew up in Philippi, were currently living in Philippi, likely would die living in Philippi. Remember, we live in a different day and age, but back then... It, they, there, there wasn't so much an upwardly mobile society. And so these people probably had lived in Philippi all of their lives and were going to die there. So Paul addresses the church, these followers of Jesus who are living at Philippi. But he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He's writing to people in Philippi, but he says, But our citizenship is where? Two of you see it? I mean, isn't it on the screen? Come on, class. But our citizenship is in Heaven, And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows he's writing to people who have a citizenship in Philippi. They are citizens of Philippi. And yet he says to them, but our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, Paul, which one is it? Paul would answer that that simple question by saying it's both. There's this thing that some of you enjoy, some of my friends here at Epic Church enjoy, called dual citizenship. Anybody have dual citizenship? Anyone? That's so cool. We're all jealous of you. Like, you get the best of so many different places. But people that have dual citizenship, just in reality, they have the privilege of being a citizen in whatever country they come from. And if it's now the United States of America, they have that privilege as well. And so we are, if you're a follower of Jesus, just like the people at Philippi were citizens of Philippi and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus and a citizen of San Francisco or wherever you call home, you're a citizen of that place and you're a citizen of the kingdom. So the question is, how do we live out our dual citizenship, especially when those things are in conflict, when those things are con- one, one of those is contrary at times to the other? Which one takes precedent. And for our main text this morning, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you need a Bible to follow along, just raise your hands and we'll get one to you. We've got amazing volunteers ready to hand you a Bible. Just keep those hands up. We'll have a page number on the screen. For the rest of us, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are going through suffering, going through persecution. They are dispersed And he wants to tell them how to live in the tension of their dual citizenship. And I think it's a word for us today. If you're part of the kingdom of God and you're a citizen of San Francisco, you need to know how you are to live in that tension. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I want to see what Peter has to say to us. And I want to talk about what it looks like for us to think about our dual citizenship. Here's what Peter says, starting in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, that was one of our key words from last week. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You may be seated. In these short four verses, I think there's so much for us to learn. Peter's writing again to Christians who have been dispersed, who are no longer living within the Christian community that they were a part of. It's somewhat fragmented and spread out and dispersed. And he says right off the bat in this section of his letter, he's, he gets at the big idea we talked about last week. And this, it's, it's this idea of identity. If you didn't catch the message last week or you've forgotten, don't feel guilty. I even forget sometimes, all right? I studied it, did it twice, and I still can forget. We spoke about identity. What is it that is our starting point when it comes to what defines us? And we said that just like Jesus heard this word from God as he came up from his baptism, the father said, "'This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased.'" And we said that in Christ, we have this spirit of adoption in us. And through that adoption of God, the father, we are the beloved sons or the beloved daughters of God. And I love that Peter uses the same language in verse 11. He says, beloved, but he begins by telling us in verses nine and 10, just who we are. And before we spend the rest of our time this morning talking about how we are to live, you and I must be reminded that our identity is received and we live out of that. We do not live a certain way to earn or gain an identity. And so Peter just begins by saying, here is who you are. And what he does in verse 9 especially is he begins to borrow language from the Old Testament. Now, it's our Old Testament. It's not how they saw it. They saw it as the authoritative scriptures as we do, but it is what they had in its entirety. And so here's that Old Testament language in verse 9. In the Old Testament, before Christ comes onto the scene, we know that God chooses a people for himself. He chooses the nation of Israel. I understand if you think you might get it wrong, or if it's a trick question, like "Mm -hmm, Israel. He chooses the nation of Israel. He chooses the Jews to be a covenant people with him. He becomes their God. But when Christ shows up, he brings with him a new covenant, whereby every person who places faith in Jesus is entered into this covenantal relationship with God. And so Peter uses Old Testament language to talk about our New Testament, the span of time we live in, reality. He says, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, which means this, before we talk about how to live this morning, we need to buy into the fact that we, if we're followers of Christ, we belong to God. That's a starting point for us. We're not trying to earn that. We're not trying to gain that. We're not trying to have so much church attendance or go on a mission trip or read our Bible so that we get in on it. If we're a child of God, we've received that. Now we go and live out of it. And that's where he begins to talk about how we live. But first, remember who you are. Now, there are really three ways to approach the reality of our dual citizenship. And I want to give you those three ways and then kind of launch from there into the rest of the talk. One way that we can approach the fact that we're citizens in the kingdom of God and citizens in San Francisco or wherever you call home is by total immersion. Total immersion. Here's what that means. Total immersion means that I live just like everyone else lives in the city that I call home. My values are the same as San Franciscans. As if that's your city. And that's so true for most of us. It, it, it's, my actions look the same. There's really no distinction between my life and how predominant culture lives. Total immersion. We just get all up in it, and you can't tell that we're any different from anyone else living in the city. But in verse 11, we see what Peter says that this can't be the truth. It can't be our reality. He says what? Beloved, let us what? We live as sojourners and exiles and we abstain, from, we abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So Peter's saying, we can't take the total immersion route. You can't as a follower of Jesus, someone who's a citizen of the kingdom of God, you cannot live like everyone else in San Francisco on every subject or when it comes to your values and actions. You can't do it total immersion. That's not the way that we've been called to live. The other way is just as off, just as wrong. And it's total separation, total separation. Now out of these two total immersion is what most of us in this room are tempted to do out of these two total separation is because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm not going to live among anyone else who doesn't know Jesus, think the same about Jesus that I do. Does that make sense? The reason total separation isn't our greatest temptation is because people who live the total separation philosophy, they don't move to San Francisco. Does that make sense? Am I the only one who has people from other places call me and say, how do you live in such a sinful place? Anybody? like bro i'm a sinner too it's fit i fit in great no that's not my approach i never forget my last church i was a teaching pastor in the midwest and we had kind of let that church know that we were months away from moving to san francisco for this big journey here and i had a retired pastor come to my office and he tried to talk me out of moving to san francisco to start this church and here was his reasoning, okay? Just imagine, at the time, I'm a little older now, at the time, I'm a 32-year-old teaching pastor in the Midwest. I've got this big risky dream of, I think, from God to go start a church in, in this city of San Francisco downtown, and this guy sits across from me at my desk. He's in his 70s, a, retire, a retired pastor. Keep that in mind. And he says, now, Ben, you know why God put the San Andreas fault line out in San Francisco, don't you? And if you go, you're going to be there when the next big one comes. (laughs) I might be. I mean, that, that really could be true. And I just remember going, oh my gosh. This pastor is telling me that I don't need to be because of what all, because there are people out there. Now, I will say this it would be crazy for me to come out here if I thought this was a God forsaken city, but I think we've seen over the last five years, and not just in this church, but churches around San Francisco, that God has not forsaken this city. And so we can't live in the total immersion we can't be just like everyone else but we must live among people even if they have different values and different beliefs than we do look at verse 12 it's two things i want you to see in verse 12 he says that we should live in such a way among the gentiles so that they might see our good deeds you cannot live among someone nor can your good deeds be seen if you live in total separation But we can't immerse ourselves in the same behaviors as everyone in San Francisco either. So what do we do? I want to advocate for the third way. And I believe I want to advocate for this because the scriptures, I believe, advocate for this third way. Here it is. Live in the way of Jesus among citizens of San Francisco. Live in the way of Jesus among citizens of San Francisco. Jesus didn't immerse himself in the same things everyone else was doing, did he? You guys know about this guy? He didn't just go, oh, you guys think this? I'm going to live like that. He didn't do that. But he didn't separate himself. So much so that the total separation group, the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes and others, what did they say about Jesus? He is a friend of sinners. And he's like, yep, that's the point. Jesus was seen as a drunkard and a glutton because of who he associated with. What we see in Christ and the lead we should follow is this. He abstained from doing the same things that people did and valuing the same things that people valued. But he didn't abstain from living around people who had different values than he had. He gives us this amazing model. You see, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to take his lead on this. We need to follow his lead because here's what must be true for us. We follow Jesus above everyone and everything else. Two weeks ago, we kicked off this starting point series by saying, here's where we need to begin. Let's clarify some things for ourselves as a church and as followers of Jesus. We, we don't have to have a million different starting points for the decisions we make, how we do relationships, how we do money, how we do work. We just need to follow the invitation that's a very clear directive from Jesus. Follow me, period. Follow me, period. And so whatever he calls us to do, this is the life we live. Our vision statement at Epic, if you've not been around us and I'm going to have all of those who have been here a long time finish this statement. The vision of Epic is to see an increasing number of people here in San Francisco or to orient their I know you're cheating, but I'm going to not think about that. Entire lives around Jesus. If you're going to live out the vision of our church in this city, you will be living in tension constantly. You like Ben why? Because not every one of your neighbors or co-workers, or I dare say most of them, are seeking to orient their entire lives around Jesus. But you are. You're going to be living in tension. In fact, I'll say this. If you are part of the kingdom of God and you're a citizen of San Francisco, and you don't find yourself living in tension, my guess is that you are totally immersing yourself in the life that everyone else is living, or you've totally separated yourself. Which is it? And can we just be honest this morning? It's easier to totally immerse ourselves in the culture or to totally separate. It's very difficult, but worth striving for to live in the tension of orienting our lives around Jesus while living close and among people who are not choosing to do the same. Is it not? So he says we abstain from things because we're citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. We abstain from certain things because God puts his spirit in us. When we place our faith in Jesus, if we get into things and we do things that wage war against the spirit of God, there's going to be a lot of conflict going on in our souls. So here's what you have to know. Even if everyone in our city is doing a particular thing and it's contrary to the way of God for you, you're going to have to abstain from it. You're going to have to abstain from it. But let's talk about this other part of being a citizen in San Francisco because we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of the kingdom of he- in, the- in the kingdom of heaven should be the very best citizens in San Francisco. Let me say it again. If you are a citizen in the kingdom of heaven that Paul referred to, you should be the very best citizen in this city. You should be. So if you're a person who only talks negative when you refer to San Francisco... You're not a great citizen in San Francisco, and you're not a great citizen in the kingdom. Are there issues in our city? Class, come on. Is that all that's going on in our city, though? No. Are there things you and I wish were different? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if all we can go, oh, I can't believe it. Uh, listen, you're not making a difference in either city or either kingdom. You and I should want our city to thrive in every single way that isn't contrary to the way of Jesus. Say that again. You should want the place. And if you're from out of town or if you live somewhere else in the Bay Area, wherever you call home, you should want your place, the place where you call home, to thrive in every single way that isn't contrary to the way of Jesus. So we know that power to the elite. That's contrary to the way of Jesus. We know greed is contrary to the way of Jesus. We know injustice is contrary to the way of Jesus. But in ways where your city, our city can thrive, as long as it's not contrary to Jesus, we should be pro that. We should be for that. We should care about justice in our city. That's why we have the local partners we have and why we continue to hold them up before you and say, come on, serve with this group, give to this group. We want to make a difference in the Tenderloin in downtown and wherever it is that God has called us to be, wherever injustice is happening. Another thing we must do because we're citizens of the kingdom of God is we must be willing to speak about who Jesus is to us. This is where it gets a little difficult, right? Except for the three of you who prefer to do it in a megaphone kind of way, right? It's your sweet spot. That's not what we're talking about either. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, Peter says, Here's who you are. And he says, You are this person, you are these people. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This word proclaim is an audible thing. It's a verbal word. Uh, Another definition would be, or another uh, synonym would be uh, declare or or even advertise. It's a verbal thing. And so the question is, if you've lived in your neighborhood for any length of time, if you've been at your job for any length of time, does anyone around you even know that you're a follower of Jesus? Anyone? Anyone? And I know what you're you're like, listen, Ben, we can't talk about that at my company. We can't talk about that at my school. I didn't say that you need to be obnoxious about it. But is there anything that's distinct that you do because you're a follower of Jesus that maybe other people don't quite always understand? Any values you have that kind of stick out? Again, not in a like obnoxious way, but in a way at all. And then in verse 12, we see not only is it about our words, it's about our good deeds. Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they say something about you being an evildoer, eventually some of them are going to see how you live and they're going to glorify God. What is he saying? He's saying that we can live as citizens of San Francisco because our ultimate citizenship is in heaven in such a way that people see that and they become citizens of this kingdom as well. You can live in such a way. I mean, it's kind of a strong wording. When the Jews were sent to live in exile in Babylon, this is what God spoke through Jeremiah about the place they were sent to. I want you to see it. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. God says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Because we're citizens of the kingdom of God, we should be the very best citizens and we should care the most about how life goes in the place that we call home. We should. We're citizens here. This is the place that God has called us to live. But but not only are we citizens, we're also called to be ambassadors. And an ambassador, what an ambassador does, they they go to a place that isn't their ultimate home, but they're representing the authority from their home right in a new place that they've been sent to. And here's what Paul says about this idea of ambassadors in Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5. He says therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. So we are representing Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. So we're citizens of San Francisco. We are citizens of the kingdom, but and because that is true, We're also ambassadors to San Francisco. God making his appeal through us. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing Peter's saying. That God wants us to be his billboard to people around us for what he's really like. Not what they've heard somewhere. He wants us to display who Christ is and what he's come to do. We're ambassadors. In 2009, a team of six of us were trying to decide where in the Bay Area we were going to start this church. There were six of us. We prayed for 50 days straight. And on day 50, January 18, 2009, the six of us flew out here. We were poor church planters, so we all shared one hotel room. That's a whole different story. Not appropriate for a public audience. Um, and we were trying to discern that we would ask God to show us where it was that we were going to start this church. We had four days. It's kind of, it sounds crazy looking back on it. You ever do something years back, you're like, what was I thinking? Or what were my parents thinking? Um, So it's crazy, but we asked God in four days that we had here, I had never been to the Bay Area, ever. Four days, God, show us, all right? So we're doing research, we're praying for 50 days, we land here. And to be honest, I just thought it had to be a suburb. I thought we've got... Kids that are two, four, and six at the time we would be moving. Um, Finding housing in the city would just be insane. Finding a facility for a church to meet in, just crazy. This is so unlike any place we've ever lived. And, And God moving to a suburb in the Bay Area a couple thousand miles from home, that's big enough, isn't it? And to our surprise, not only did God call us to San Francisco, but he called us to downtown. Apparently to a basement space under the CVS. So, you know, if you guys need drugs, I mean the legal kind. And you have a prescription. CVS is right above us. We were so surprised, and I'll never forget my wife Shauna saying to me and on, and those on our teams, "She's like, this freaks me out a lot, but the thing I'm excited about is that living here, I'll never have to, or I'll never be able to forget why we're here." Now, Shauna's a lot better than I am, so let me tell you my story about this. I do forget sometimes sometimes I think I'm just here to enjoy all that San Francisco has to offer. Anybody else? Perfect climate for me. I know the rest of you are suffering. It's not hot enough, not cold enough. Perfect for me. Some of the best restaurants in the world. Like I'm just here to enjoy that. Anybody ever think that's why you're here? God just wanted to open up the taste buds. So it's like, you know, and and here's what I believe about our restaurants, that you can get any kind of food here and you get the best version of it, right? Because if you're not selling lots of food, you're not paying rent as a restaurant, right? So I'm like, come on. Um, And uh, since we moved here in 2010, the Giants have won three World Series. I'm not saying there's a correlation. Okay? I moved here during the season of 2010. They weren't in first place. Anyway. And they had zero World Series trophies in the 52 years prior to me moving here. But not a correlation. Nothing to do with us in the neighborhood at all. There's so much to consume here, so many places to see, and sometimes I forget why I'm here. But those aren't the reasons I'm here ultimately, and they're not even the reasons, no matter what you think, it's not the reason you're here ultimately. It's not the reason that our church started here ultimately either. God has sent us here for a specific purpose. And some of you are like, yeah, I wish you wouldn't have. Listen, you're here now, make the most of it. You're like, yeah, I'm getting out of here as soon as I can. You're here now, make the most of it, open your little heart up, and you don't know what God might do. You might be here forever amen anybody some people are told me last night they tried to leave and they just literally can't get out god will not let them escape this place all right we've been called by god for a reason and for a time and if this is where you call home or wherever you call home there's a reason behind it we know about our god that he's ascending god Do we not know that if you've ever read the page of the scriptures, the one thing you will become convinced of that our God is ascending God. He, we open up Genesis and we see God sending Abraham to a place he would show him later. You get to Exodus and God sends Moses to rescue his people who are enslaved for the past 400 years under the rule and reign of Pharaoh. We see God finally sending Joshua and others into the promised land. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. He doesn't love that call in his life, but that's what God's up to. God sends Nehemiah to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. He sends Esther to approach the king though it could kill her because her people are going to be murdered if something doesn't change. God sends Paul to start churches in Asia and modern day Europe in the first century and he sends Jesus to become the savior for all of humanity. He is ascending God so you and I must revisit this question often. If we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven then why has this king sent us to San Francisco? And if you don't ask yourself this you're going to get caught up with everybody else just like I do. And can we just be honest? The rent isn't worth it if we don't have purpose. Some are like, Ben, I don't know that it's worth it with purpose. Right? Listen, we have an amazing city to live in, right? We have these incredible views. Now you've got to earn the view, right? Some are like, no, Ben, I just take Uber to the top. Then I walk down. We have an incredible place to live in. But God hasn't sent us here simply to consume. Now, the name of this message is Citizens, Ambassadors, and Tourists. So I've hit the citizen part. I've hit the ambassador part. Now I've got, to, I've got to talk about the tourist part. Just give me a minute. Just give me one second. All right. Some of you treat San Francisco like a tourist, which is awesome if you're here from out of town. But it's not if you've lived here for two years or more. Okay. So like you're walking, you know, you got your fanny pack, you know, you haven't learned any streets. So you are like, and you've lived here for months or years and you're living like a tourist. And here's what you need to know about tourists. They don't make an investment in the place where they're touring. Tourists never contribute. They only consume. Here, here's, how I can prove it. When I go to Hawaii, I am not there to make a contribution. And if you've ever been to Hawaii, you know it doesn't need my contribution, right? I go there to consume, period, to consume the sun, the ocean, the beach, fish tacos, the trade winds, shave ice, not shaved with a D. Like I would have thought, just shave ice. You go there to consume. Wherever you are touring, you go there to consume, and that is awesome on vacation. But it's not cool if you live there. It's not cool if you live there. And worse than consuming The place that you live, some of us are just tourists in the kingdom of God. Right? You're just checking things out. You want some high points. You want everyone to do something for you. You're making no investment of time, service, or money or resources in what God's wanting to do in our church and in His kingdom in this city. You just want to be a tourist. And God's calling some of you to go, no, it's time to live out a citizenship as an ambassador from God to this city. It's time to make an investment. It's time to quit playing tourism. I mean, how many of you could tell me, don't raise your hand, you'll embarrass yourself. But, but, but other than when a relative or a friend comes from somewhere else, when's the last time you went to Fisherman's Wharf on your own? Don't raise your hand. So am like, Ben, that's where all the best restaurants are. Tourists. Some of you are like Ben. That's where all of our great date nights are. To which I might say, I think that's biblical grounds for divorce. (laughs) The reason why we hit Fisherman's Wharf when we moved here is because some reason that's all that's portrayed to the outside world, right? But then we move in. We're no longer tourists. We're no longer playing the part. And so we discover the great hole in the wall restaurants. We discover the coffee that doesn't. Have to be, I'm not going to name national chains here because you're still, some of you are still married to those chains. So I'm not going to name the coffee chains that you, anyway. La Boulan's coming back. Anybody excited about that? Wow. Right. They're going to get back on the local scene. Starbucks can't have that. Um, we began to discover amazing places to shop, to eat, to drink coffee, to hang out, to, to go on date nights. And the reason is, is because we got below the surface of what the appearance of a city is. But some of you in the kingdom of God, you're just coming here on a Sunday, consuming some inspiration, the music, free childcare, and you're making no investment in this city or this community. And I just want to say to you, it's time to make an investment. It's time to quit playing tourists and become a citizen who then lives out a life as an ambassador this is what God's called you to. He's not sent you here to soak it up. Do you know, in the first century, there were people that played tourists with Jesus all the time. I mean, imagine he was quite entertaining. He taught like no one else had ever taught with that kind of authority. And when he became the miracle man for people who wouldn't show up to that. I mean, there's no Netflix back then. Jesus is doing miracles. I'm there massive crowds. But then he began to say, Hey, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and let's go. And when he began to say those kinds of messages, people began to desert him in mass. So much so that in John chapter six, he looked at the 12 disciples because that's all that was left. And he said to those 12, do you guys want to leave too? Friends, it's time to make an investment. I don't know how long God's called you here, called me here. I don't know. I do know this. If this is where you are today, this is where you've been sent and you can moan about it. You can wait for it to be over. You can talk about how you're just here to get whatever you're here to get, but he has a different plan for you. And it's time that you and I make our citizenship starting point here in the kingdom and that we live as citizens of San Francisco because ultimately we're citizens of a different place. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to say two things to you as we wrap this up. The first one is this I want to apologize for the times when we don't live the ways of Jesus when we're around you. I just want to say I'm sorry. We have not always, and we do not always, represent our King Jesus well. I'm sorry. But I also want to say to you that you've been invited into a kingdom that is more sure and longer lasting than any place you'll ever live on earth. Christ went to the cross so that you could become a son or daughter of God and live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I want you to embrace that this morning. If you are a Christian, I want to ask you what shifts need to happen in your life with your time, with the words you use, with your actions. Listen, you've not been called to totally immerse yourself into the life that everyone else lives here. You've not been called to separate yourself from it. You've been called to live in the way of Jesus among people who aren't living the way of Jesus. This is what it means to follow me. Who's in? This stuff really matters. When you think about home, your ultimate home, it determines what you do with your time, how you think about the future, and the investment you're willing to make. So for you, ultimately, What are you a citizen of? Would you pray with me? I want to pray for all of you this morning that, that God would do a couple of things. For one, that if you're not a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, that you would receive his invitation. And if you are, that you would be willing to really think through the implications for your life as a citizen of his kingdom. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back and lead us in a couple of songs, and you'll be able to respond in a number of ways. You can continue to contemplate, you can, can you can pray, you can ask God to give you a fresh vision for how it is to live this life here. Communion will be offered as well there 's a station up here to my right, and then one about two thirds of the way back on on your left and as we receive the elements today, the bread representing the body of Christ broken for us, the cup representing the blood of Jesus poured out for us, I want you to think about the great price that Jesus has paid for you to be a citizen. People tell me when they come over for own visas, there's a hefty price to be paid depending on what level of visa it is. And I know when you're becoming a citizen, perhaps there's a cost involved as well. Jesus has paid the price for your citizenship. Receive that identity and then live as an ambassador to wherever he sent you. For most of us, for now, it's here. God, I pray that you would cement this reality in our hearts. That we, would, that we would faithfully live as citizens of your kingdom. Jesus, we know that to orient our lives around you in this place or any place is going to involve a great tension. Help us to embrace it. Forgive us when we don't live out your way among people who are far from you, God. Forgive us when we live too far from the people who are far from you. Help us to live for you among them and to remind ourselves that you've sent us here with a purpose to be ambassadors, that you, God, might make your appeal through us. That's why this church was birthed. That's why every one of us is here. Help us not to forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond. So singing, standing, sitting, praying, communion here, as well as about two-thirds of the way back. Let's think about the implications of what we've heard today.